Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Nextra Presents. Today we're talking about insurance. Now, if you're a contractor, you're probably already tensing up at the mention of insurance. Insurance premiums over the last number of years have skyrocketed and it's getting harder and harder to get insurance. The way that claims are handled and managed by insurance companies is frustrating and even maddening at times. And you have no say in whether a claim is paid out. You're just left with increased premiums once the payout is made. Enter the insurance market and its self-insured retention program. This is a unique common sense alternative to traditional insurance that gives you a say in how claims are dealt with. On today's podcast, Mark Jackson from the insurance market explains the program and its benefits, how they handle claims and how they screen members. We've been working with the insurance market for a while now, and we are so impressed with them and the service they offer to contractors. They know the snow industry and want to help contractors minimize their insurance costs and aggressively defend any claims. If you're frustrated with your insurance company and with rising premiums, stick around for Grant's conversation with Mark Jackson. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. My pleasure, Grant. Thanks for uh, thanks for scraping the bottom of the barrel for me here. Okay, oh, <laughs> the bottom of the barrel. No, so, Mark, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got introduced to you uh, about a year ago, actually, and uh, we were uh, one of a couple of our clients were looking for some uh, insurance options, and uh, mm-hmm. we got a hold of you. I, I can't remember who we got a hold of you through, but. Um, um, but yeah, so we're, we've been working alongside the insurance mm-hmm. market for a little while right now. So we thought this would be a great opportunity to interview you and uh, your team and uh, mm-hmm. just kind of let us know a little bit of what the insurance market does. Yeah. Well, thanks, buddy. So, yeah, I guess I could I'll give you a brief background on the insurance market. So insurance market has been around since uh, since 1981. Um, I've been I acquired the insurance market. Oh God, coming up to about 10 years ago now. Um, And we're primarily a niche brokerage that specializes in commercial insurance, personal insurance and benefits for uh, primarily around businesses and and business owners. So one key area we specialize in is is contractors. Um, We've really been working in that space for quite some time. And I guess with respect to the snow removal guys, really looking at like niche programs and uh creative solutions for for industry classification so that's i guess in a, in a nutshell we like to get creative on um on areas that uh that need need help right they need help and they've had uh, challenging insurance uh situations okay so before you've kind of jumped into the snow market because you're fairly, mm. in a short period of time you're new to that did you guys do yeah. this for any other markets or yeah, so contractors, a wide range of contractors across the board. So we've um, from uh, elevator contractors, we got a special specialized program for, um, and we could get into like this self-insured model of that a little later, I guess, right? Because it is a real, uh, real niche and something kind of unique to those industry segments. But um, yeah, a wide range of contractors, building owners. Um, property managers uh, we do a lot of franchise programs educational uh institutions private schools and and so on so forth so um but yeah we got a team <clears throat> the insurance market has a team of just about 30 people we deal with many of the major domestic insurers uh, london markets um so we have a wide range of insurance companies we work with 
Okay. Yeah. So the really the ideal um, the kind of conversation we want to talk about is definitely on the self-insured market. So explain mm-hmm. a little bit about this and, and how the program works and why it's different than your typical insurance that most contractors carry. Yeah. So I guess the best way to do that is I could give a description on how it how it came about being and given give an idea if you'd like to hear it on uh, what we did for the elevator industry. For sure, it, yeah. They were, they were really, they're really kind of in the same situation that uh, snowmobile contractors were about 15 years ago. And, and um, I think it really, like when we really dug deep into it, it's really the claims scenario that is is impacting these significant rate increases that uh, the contractors are seeing. So, so the self-insured model is really a, a means to gain control of handling claims. Um, so we had about two years ago, we had a crisis meeting with snow removal contractors. Um, we called a bunch of them into our office and we just asked a bunch of questions like, why is this really to understand why this is happening, right? We knew on the insurance side why it was happening, but we really wanted to hear what they felt why why this was happening um and there's a lot of a lot of similarities um really between what the elevator industry felt 15 years ago and what the snowmobile industry feels currently um and it was right like our insurance company doesn't have our back right they're not uh, they're not helping us they're not giving us like they're not giving us the ammunition we need in order to to get better at this and handle claims better so um you know, what we what we heard a lot of was, you know, we have a claim, we submit it to our insurance company, and then we don't hear about it again. We send them our information. We have some claims adjuster that we have to teach about our industry and that does not specialize in it. And then two years goes by and we pay our insurance company pays out a $200,000 claim. And next thing you know, our, our premiums are skyrocketing. So that happens. That was happening across the board for elevator contractors. And it it became such a problem that personal injury lawyers were looking at that industry as a, as a targeted industry because it was, it was just easy, right? It was easy to, to get significant size payouts from. And with significant size payouts, you know, rates just continue to go up. So the more insurance companies are paying out, the more premiums. It's, it's kind of easy math when you think about it that way, right? The more the insurance industry is paying out to those, those claimants, the more the contractors are going to be paying. In premium, so so I guess the SAR um, the SAR program and SAR self-insured retention-based program. Um, so think of it like deductible. Okay, um, it's a high deductible. We pull it in and we use it as a means to gain control of claims. So um, and there's a bit of a difference. Maybe I should start there between a duct- deductible and a self-insured retention or an SAR. So when you have a deductible on a policy. Typically, how it works is a contractor submits a claim to their insurance company, and let's say they have a 5,000 deductible as an example. So they submit the claim to the insurance company. Sure, insurance company handles that claim start to finish, and if there's a payout at the end of it, then they make the payout, and then they send an invoice to the contractor for the deductible, 5,000 bucks. Okay, and that's there's the contractor has no say, no say in the matter at all, right? And how their deductible is used. They just are obligated to pay it at the end of the at the end of the claim. What's been happening for snow removal contractors is that deductible has been increasing significantly. So we're seeing deductibles in the range of twenty five to fifty thousand dollars now. Um, but the scary part is the contractor doesn't have any any control over the use of that deductible. The insurance company still has one hundred percent control. So 
they could literally use a $50,000 deductible for a bogus claim just to make it disappear and contractors responsible for that. So um, that's a deductible. Self-insured retention or SIR is similar, like I said, to a deductible. However, you're responsible for, for in most cases, and specifically in, our, in, in the way we structure it, um, you're responsible as a contractor for the, the first 5,000 of uh, cost and expenses and indemnity um, incurred on a claim. So it's kind of like dollar one, you're paying for dollar one, you're responsible for defending yourself up to that 5,000 is exhausted, then the insurance company takes over. Okay. So where we went with, with the program and what we saw with elevator contractors as well was they were really like, that was the problem. That was the, that was the challenge that the industry was having. So we use the SAR in a group, um, in a group format to achieve um, control over the claim. So in our, in our case, uh, our, both our elevator contractors that we've been working with for the last 15 years and our snow removal contractors we've been working with for the last three years, they have a large SAR, right? And with that, we've been able to negotiate with the insurance company to allow us to use our own claims adjuster and our own legal counsel, okay? So um, it's fully controlled by us. <clears throat> the insurance company really just gets a border report of claims on a monthly basis and they're kind of sitting in the background um, where they would get involved is when we we exhaust the entire SAR so let's say it's a million dollars um, as a pooled deductible SAR um, in any one year if that million dollars is exhausted the insurance company kind of just steps in from dollar one at that point mm. Where does so, that million? Mm -hmm. Where does that pool come from? Then it comes from all the group putting putting money into the program. Similar to the way the way a typical insurance program works, where you're based, your you know your liability is based on a revenue per or sorry a dollar rate per thousand revenue. We use the same format, right? So it's just a dollar rate per thousand. So you know if you're if you're a contractor doing ten million, you're going to be paying more more into that pool than a contractor that's doing a million in revenue. Okay, so it's all relevant to the size of the contractor. Okay. So when you were doing this for, with the elevator industry, then what were the end results that you were seeing after a couple of years of the program then? Um, well, I could tell you after, so they were very much in the, um, and we're seeing it now actually kind of going back into a hard market. But at one point in time, uh, elevator contractors were paying close to 10% uh, of, their, of their revenue towards their liability insurance. Okay, so a significant, uh, significant chunk of the revenue is going towards that. And snow removal contractors in some scenarios are, we're seeing rates in that range, 10% of, of revenue going towards insurance costs. So um, when we did our last uh, renewal for the elevator group, we did all the math and, and we're like fast forward 15 years, we're at like 0.29% of the revenue. That is their overall liability and insurance costs, including what they're contributing towards that trust account as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's just their cost, upfront cost. There's still a chunk of that, that they have the potential to, to recuperate. So tell me what's the big difference then? It's because the fact that, that as a group, you're fighting this stuff. And it's not just straight going to the insurance company then? Is that why? Yeah. I think it comes, it boils down to like specialization, right? And 
really specialization in the in the claims management, actively managing claims and and not giving into those like r real bogus uh, claim scenarios, right? So the with the group um, and it's it's the claims piece and really defending claims differently and better. But it's also operating in a fluid way where each contractor is expected to to be able to achieve a certain set um, guidelines, performance guidelines. Um, and we also looked at those. So we looked at all the performance guidelines of the group with with the group, with the founding members of the group uh, who spent a ton of time and energy going through like everything from, you know, from preseason inspection reports and what that should look like to to equipment calibration right and you know everything in everything in between so yeah really it boils down to the way we manage claims and and having uh, adjusters and legal counsel that are looking at all the data points along the way right so when we look at a preseason inspection report um, in an sar program we're looking at it from a defendability standpoint so we have our lawyers we have our legal counsel we have um we have our claims team that's looking at it saying okay well you know what if everybody in the group does this this way um, with these data points then we're going to be able to defend a claim and or it's going to it's going to achieve a better result right where traditionally insurance companies do not do that stuff they have no vested interest in that and and the feedback amongst a lot of contractors when they have a claim they're told you know they ask that question right like okay well you paid a hundred thousand dollars out to this claim and um what could i have done better what could i have done differently to to avoid that from happening in the future and there's no answer Right, insurance companies, there's there's no answer to that question. They don't give that sort of feedback, and and in a lot of cases, like you did everything right, you did everything you should have done. Well, then what's the difference here, and where do we where do we go from from the, at that point? There's yeah. it's it's like you're losing all hope, right? So yeah. that's kind of where we were at. There was no hope left um, because a lot of contractors were doing a lot of a lot of right stuff, a lot of good yeah. stuff, but they weren't able to defend against it. Yeah, I remember going into my first discovery meeting and literally thinking that I would be the dumbest person, not the dumbest person in the room, but I would be mm. not so smartest person in the room <laughs> and having to educate our insurance broker, like the guy that works for us and educating yeah. him on what we did, what the information I was giving him. And I was mm. like, I can't believe like and just like five minutes before the meeting, like he had yeah. just picked up the file. Yeah. And going into this meeting going, I'm not sure you're going to actually help me out here. Like, well, Grant, but that's, incredible. that's, I know. And that's typical. That is like, that's part of the problem. There's no, like, you know, our elevator claims, um, our adjusters and our lawyers are, are like doing two days worth of prep work. Right. So we go into that discovery and we're kicking ass. That's a big difference. How do you, how do you expect to have a great outcome when you're, when you're really practicing for five minutes beforehand and that's typical that's typical insurance company and how they how they do things mm -hmm. so, i just assumed i think most contractors assume that their insurance company does know all this stuff and is fighting well for it rather than just settling and going into it but that was a definite eye opener for me so when we heard about your group and we heard about what we we're doing we we're really excited because that's a, the, the gap that we we're missing with most contractors so okay mm. Um, so explain to me then, so we understand the program, how it works and a lot of type of stuff. So w explain to me, what does your ideal contractor look like? 
Um, like why would a contractor, what are the pain hmm. points a current contractor would have? Um, and then, yeah, first, what does that look like? Um, okay. So obviously they're, and I think from a pain point perspective, anybody in snow right now, any contractor that is doing snow removal is having insurance issues, right? That's a, that's a natural pain point. So, um, but an ideal, an ideal candidate for this program, um, I would say is a contractor that is, um, is prepared to share information, you know, so as an example to that, we're not asking for, we're not sharing financial information. We're not sharing pricing and contracts and stuff, but you know, we want to get better at, at claims, right. And how they're handled. So claims are circulated throughout the entire group. Um, so, you know, and we're using that as, you know, everybody's learning lessons for the, for the entire team. So sharing of information is critical. Being able to work with your competitors is critical in, in this scenario. They're not, you know, and, and we saw it from day one to where we're at now. Uh, most of the group is, is, is looking at each other. Like they're not really competing against each other. They're competing against the insurance industry here. And we're all kind of on the same team. And every once in a while, there's an account that's traded back and forth, but that's kind of normal business practices and no hurt feelings around it. But, um, so that would probably be number one, right? From a character perspective, we want contractors in the program that are willing to, to work with the other members, right? Um, and achieve a better outcome. Um, number two is there are certain uh, performance thresholds that have to be, have to be achieved. Um, and really, we looked at that from a practical standpoint. So we went through the U.S. standards, the Ontario best practices, Landscape Ontario best practices document. There was a bunch of things, um, all training material that we went through with every um, our founding contractors and with our claims team. And we looked at each one, one by one. Is this achievable? Is this practical? Practical? Can you can you do this? Right? Like, is this something that you could achieve in your daily practices? And can we defend it if you do do that? You operate that way. So, um, there's a set of thresholds, performance thresholds that will have to be achieved. And part of the process, being a member of the group, is is a review um, or or call it an audit, but it's really session where our claims team and uh and you guys go out and and confirm that the contractor is meeting their obligations to their fellow members and then there's got to be a bit of a critical scale for members we don't have like a revenue threshold um we've asked been asked this question a lot but um we don't set a revenue threshold so if you're a contractor that's doing a couple hundred thousand in in revenue, as long as you're able to achieve the performance thresholds, then that's really what we're, we're intent on, focused on. Um, now, saying that though, we're noticing that you know some of the demands of the program uh, require heftier operations. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but uh, you know more more controls and more investment into the into the business. So. For example, we, you know, mandatory part of the program is a uh, is a management tool. Um, we don't we don't mandate which one to use, but most of the most of the groups using either LMN or Yeti, right? Something something like that. So there's an investment in technology that's that's required. And other than that, just good people, right? Good people that are gonna you know that are that are looking to 
essentially be part of uh, something pretty pretty cool, right? And we're really operating a mini insurance company, so they'll want to have, have to be participants of that okay. and the success of it. So other than the, some sort of management tool, which is some sort of software to help you with all that type of stuff, what other requirements are required of the contractor as far as like when you do an audit? So what are, what are you looking for for a contractor to have minimum standard of it in the audit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, well, there's actually, I should probably mention, there's four specific types of contracts that are um, that are are no goes and that's really from our reinsurance partner um they're looking at everything from like a catastrophic lens so currently if you're a contractor that's doing any sort of municipal work or you have municipal contracts for this program is not a not a good fit those contracts are excluded from the from the program um, number two is hospital contracts. So if, uh, if a contractor has any hospital contracts, that's, uh, that's also an excluded contract from the group. Number three is public school boards. So we're okay with private school boards or sorry, private schools and that nature, but public school boards are a no-go. Um, and the last one is religious institutions. Okay. And we're seeing there's some grandfathering there. So there's a little bit more flexibility on religious institutions, but, but those are, those are four. So we'll, um, part of the audit is confirming, you know, those contracts, if, if any of those exist. Okay. So that's kind of step one. And usually that's done even before we get to the audit stage. Okay. So I know, yeah, I know you have contractors in the group because we know a bunch of the contractors that have some of that, some of that work. So what do they do um, with that work? Do they give up that work, or what? What's what's an option for the contractor so they don't cut us off now and they don't stop listening yeah. to some yeah. options we have? Because yeah. yeah. there's still lots to go, people. Yeah, for sure. So um, what we've done for some of the other members is we've separated those contracts and and placed um, insurance specifically for those contracts in the regular market, right? The Lloyd's market. So it's kind of hefty to do it that way, but um, if there's good contracts long-term, sometimes there are five-year contracts with, uh, with a school board, then um, we're able to achieve that. And then have have 95% of their operations covered by the, the SIR program and the other being outside of that. Okay, so that's uh, and then you know the religious institutions. If they're if they're um, you know we could work with contractors on on those right on a case by case basis. But municipal, yeah, municipal school boards and hospitals, we could um, and what we've done in the past is really just piece them off. Okay, so I'm assuming just because those those type of contracts have high claim numbers, is that why? Um, we're not too concerned with like the frequency. It's really the, so, because the frequency we're going to deal with and we're going to get really good at, at that, but it's the, so the insurance company, the reinsurance company is looking at like catastrophic situations, right? So, you know, they're looking at like, what is, what is that claim that's going to wipe out the million dollar trust account and pull us, pull us back in. So they're seeing some of that work, whether we agree with it or not, um, you know, municipal work, uh, probably not so much the work, but the the wording of the contracts are challenging um, and could lead to like significant uncontrolled payouts where, you know, we lose control of that claims, um, that claims management. And that's what we what we're trying to achieve here is, is 
is we want to be in control of the claims. With municipal contracts, in a lot of cases, the municipality has the right to um, right to assign their own legal counsel. So as soon as that happens, then you know their legal counsel is in control and and they kind of run the show there. So that that's number one for hospitals, school boards. We see school boards. There's just a, the tail of claims could be way longer. Statute of limitations is is extended for children, so um, could be a lot of up in the air when it comes to school boards um, and then hospitals. You know, insurance companies looking at the worst case scenario, like a you know taking out a helipad or something. So you know that's their so that's their concern with hospitals and pre-existing pre yeah pre-existing conditions, right? Okay, so so we talked a little bit about the type of contracts. What else? What else do the does the contractor have to have uh, to be part of the group then? So reviewing yeah. the contracts. Yeah. So um, okay. So we have um, our group has developed a standard contract, um, which we really are pushing hard to circulate and get in use. But that's not a mandatory. That's not a mandatory requirement. Um, other than that, it's we're good with any uh, other sorts of contracts. Um, so moving along from that, one, um, and I'm, I don't, I don't think really want to get into like the entire performance metrics like to qualify because that's a that's probably a those are more individualized conversations with okay. uh, with your viewers here. But um, I could tell you, so having a management tool like an LMN or a Yeti is uh, is a mandatory part of the part of the program. Um, the other one is preseason inspections. So I, I mentioned that in the past, preseason inspections are required on all sites. Okay, so and there's uh, we have a we don't have a specific preseason inspection, but there's certain data points that we want captured on those. Um, along with hazard recommendations and and so on, um, so that's kind of that's number that's probably number two. We spend a lot of time talking about that. And number three is uh, number three is really training. So the group decided on a documented training program for the for the team. So there's a few programs that are being utilized. Some of the members have created their own training, well-documented training programs for their for their staff. Um, others are using different tools out there. Greenius is one example of, of a training provider. Um, so a lot of the members are using that just for simplicity. And it's it's a nicely documented system. And then there's a few there's a few other ones as well. So far so good? Oh yeah it's good. No it's awesome. No it's perfect. So we're gonna take a quick break and to hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll be back. Hi friends, I'm just interrupting the conversation to tell you about today's podcast sponsor, Jim Pattison Lease. We've dealt with Wendy Ladd at Jim Pattison Lease for years. She has made leasing vehicles and equipment easy, whether we needed a simple half-ton pickup truck or a fully outfitted dump truck with a plow and a salter. Jim Pattison Lease specializes in outfitting, so they can deliver your vehicle totally complete with equipment and decals and rust proofing. Basically, it's ready to start working the moment it gets delivered. They provide personal service and flexible leasing options, offering lease structures and terms that will optimize your vehicle spend. They offer both open-end and closed-end leases. What's the difference, you ask? On an open-end lease, they work closely with you on a term and structure that matches your industry, maximizes cash flow, and reduces residual risks. The benefit of an open-end lease 
are that there are no kilometer penalties. You can add aftermarket accessories. And although you assume the residual obligation, Jim Patterson Lease helps set depreciation rates to closely match the vehicle's useful life. A closed-end lease is a true operating lease that allows you to easily budget your fixed lease payments with no surprises. Jim Patterson Lease assumes all of the residual risk, making it a true walk-away lease. What are the benefits? You're only responsible for the monthly payments and the vehicle condition. When the lease is done, you simply return the vehicle. You don't have to worry about the market. Patterson assumes the risk of depreciation. So you enjoy the benefits of leasing without the risks. Simple and easy. If you want to talk about your leasing needs or would like to get an evaluation of your fleet, contact Wendy at Jim Patterson Lease. Her phone number, 416-417-5233 or email wendy.lad, that's L-A-D-D, at jplease.com. And now, back to the conversation. All right, welcome back everyone. Um, so again, we're talking with Mark uh, Jackson from the insurance market. And uh, so Mark, we've, we've talked a little bit about the program. We've talked about what it takes for a contractor to kind of qualify or to be part of the group. Um, kind of, we touched on a little bit of pain points as the contractor may feel. So, so kind of walk me through, um, so if someone does sign up to be part of the program, you know, you guys have a just kind of you guys have a call I, again. Well, we kind of more participation part. You guys have a call. How often do you guys talk as a group? Um, so right now we got to so we have subcommittees of the group, but basically the time commitment is once every two weeks. Right. That's the sort of expected. And then if you're involved in we're working on a CSA initiative, right, CSA National Standard Initiative. So if you're part of that, that group, it's a little bit more frequent. Um, if you're, you're a member of the claims committee, that's probably another hour, a month of, of time. But, uh, for the most part, the expectation is one hour every two weeks where we meet as a group and we just discuss issues. Okay. And then annually we have a, um, we have an annual meeting, renewal meeting with all the members and we sort of go through a, a set agenda and really talking through a claims board role and, and, you know, any challenging claim scenarios that we have. And, and that's a good opportunity to learn from some of those claims we've experienced over the, the previous 12 months. Okay. So kind of walk me through just practically then, you know, so what happens when, um, you know, we do get a slip and fall claim, um, kind of how does the SIR group handle that and what's involved just practically mm -hmm. compared to, you know, we've talked about what, what typically happens, but how do you guys handle it? Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll just kind of just do a comparison, traditional versus SAR. So traditional slip and fall happens. Usually that um, that claim is not reported until there's like an official notice or a statement of claim, right? Um, it's just the way contractors have been have been trained because over the over the last so many years, right? You don't want to report a claim to your insurance company because they're going to jack your rates up. So if there's a if there's a slip and fall on a site that you're aware of but nothing's really come out of it, it kind of just gets swept under the rug until it becomes a becomes a deal and then it's reported. Our program is completely different. We want to know about those scenarios in advance and they're not going to be held against you as a, as a contractor because we're not sending those to the insurance companies not, in, not involved. They're just looking at, you know, can we manage claims within our trust account, right? And if we could do that, then great. But part of that is we want to be prepared and proactive in the event that there is a claim. So 
it's really important that everybody's on the same page there on reporting. So as soon as there's a, as soon as we're even there's a hint of an injury on a site or a slip and fall, or something happening, um, the call comes into come, comes into us. We dispatch our claims team. Okay, um, so that's Morrison Risk Services. Uh, Chris is like expert on slip and fall claims, and he's been involved in this program right from from day one, uh, building out the performance guidelines. So um, slip and fall comes in, Chris gets the file and he starts, he starts working it right away. So, and that doesn't mean we're spending a, a, a ton of money. That's, um, that's kind of probably the, the, the opposite of, of what happens, right? He just, um, he really wants to understand what happened. He'll, in a lot of cases, he'll go to the site and see what hazards are, were present, what the snow piles look like, what the physical premises looks like, um, depending on the, the, the understanding of the injuries, um, we may bring out an expert at that point to um, to look at what's taken place and have that ready to go as part of our defense. But we really just like proactively build the file out um, because you know some of this stuff comes out and and I know the statute of limitations has changed, but we really haven't seen how that's practically going to impact the industry uh, just yet because it's really really early still, but. Where I was going with that is that you know a lot could take a lot could happen in a year or two years, um, and even staffing staffing changes. So the the crew that was on that job site when that slip and fall occurred may not be with the company two years from now. So it's really important to document exactly what happened, what they did, make sure that our files like in order. So two years less a day or or sixty days less a day. We're, we're prepared and ready to take action. So um, that's kind of step one. The, um, the one thing that uh, any of our members will notice that there's way more transparency in, uh, in the way we handle claims files than the way that insurance companies typically do. So the contractor for the first layer, I guess you could call it, like our program has, a, has an individual claim deductible, then the pool kicks in, the SR pool kicks in. So the contractor is directly involved um, right out of the gate up until the point that their deductible is used. So they're making decisions. They're, they're involved in settlement opportunities. If that takes place, they're, you know, they're really engaged and in control of, of the claim. Right. And, uh, and that's pretty important. So I guess like even going back to that initial comment of like what makes a good contractor for this program, um, it would be somebody that wants to be involved in that, right? Doesn't want to just send in a claim to their insurance company and and not hear from it for not hear about it for a couple of years, right? We want we want contractors that are invested in driving down claims costs, right? And being being involved in that and looking at those opportunities to to learn from as well. So that's uh, that's really significant difference. Um, I don't know if that was rambling a little bit or what, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> I answered your question there. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, the, what we love about the program, you use the word proactive, and I think you know for all of our clients, um, and hopefully everyone that listens to this, you you get a sense of you know we want to be proactive, right? You know we want to be part of your business. We want to help you grow the business, and and uh, yeah, there's nothing worse than uh, letting something legally go and never hearing about it or never getting an answer. So that's why we love this program. We love partnering with you guys is because of that proactive 
the proactive relationship you have with that and not to be fearful of it, but to able to get that stuff, get that, collect that information as fast as you can. Um, Because I have had to, uh, on on the discovery, go find a past employee that I've fired and get Mm -hmm. a statement from them um, two years down the road, right? And that's not easy to to try to track that person down and then to try to get a statement from them. And And think of the quality of the statement you're going to get two years later from somebody that doesn't work for the company anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So. You know that's that, and that ha- that's gonna have a direct impact on the the results. Mm-hmm. So, but I'll give you a, a a good example, and this is from the elevator industry because it just was like last week. We're talking to um, we're talking to a contractor, and uh, we were you know somebody that we haven't we haven't done business with. They're looking to to join our program. Um, they're insured with a traditional insurance company, Lloyd's of London Market, and a, another broker right now. So we were looking over their claims experience, right? And there's one claim that really stuck out. So we, we wanted to understand it and we wanted to, to jump on a call and we brought in um, our claims team for that call. And it was, it was quite interesting. So the, uh, so the contractor's like, yeah, this was like, this was kind of bogus. We don't think that we did really anything wrong, um, but we just got news that it's settled. Insurance company settled it for $55,000. Yeah, there's an elevator contractor. We've been in that space for 15 years. We have never ever paid out a claim and we've had some like horrific injuries, elevator type injuries. We've never once paid out a claim over $30,000 in indemnity, never once. And here's a contractor that didn't feel like they did anything wrong. Um, and their insurance company paid out 55,000. That's the highest in 15 years that we've, we would have ever paid out almost double. Yeah. So it does, it makes it, it the way that claims are handled and managed has a direct impact. And those, those numbers add up. So our goal is to keep, to, to never have the insurance company involved in any claims. We want to handle everything within our trust account because the better we could do that, the more money our, our members are going to get back. And then we could really start chipping away at insurance costs, right? For that reinsurance layer. So Mark, after, um, you know, they get, you know, they hear of a slip and fall, you know, obviously we want to collect all that information as fast as we can. We want to get statements from, you know, the staff. We want to get pictures from the site. Uh, you know, having Chris come on site is awesome. Chris is a great guy. He's like, he's like a little bulldog uh, for mm-hmm. getting information. And then what happens then? Um, so yeah. this is the, the way, wh- wh- where does that information stay? Like mm-hmm. what's the relationship going forward? Yeah. So um, it really is, it depends on the scenario, right? So, um, I guess the answer to this question may change from depending on the situation. Um, but I could give you a couple examples, right? So at that point, so Chris does his, the initial investigation. Um, it may, and we've had one uh, just in the last 12 months a claim where we felt that it made sense to bring in a couple experts, right? And incur those, those costs. So, um, and really just pad, start really padding the defense. Okay. So, um, expert having an expert report to show that the contractors met their duty of care, standard of care, um, is pretty is pretty significant. And it, it so I'll rewind back to the I'm going to tackle that point because that is that's um, significant advantage that we're that we're using. But our very first crisis meeting, we asked that question like to to a room of contractors, who are you guys? Who has your insurance companies used as an expert to 
to defend you in a claim to show that you've met your duty of care, your standard of care. Um, and like the, the entire room unanimously said that there's, there isn't one. We've never had that. That doesn't exist in our industry, in our business. And we had like a room full of, full of experts, really. Any one of them could have, could have qualified as an expert. Um, so, but it is, it is so significant because that is, that's something that um, in using an expert report to show that we've met our, our standard of care and we've done everything right, you know, in this scenario has an impact on, on the way, the way the claim goes. So as an example to that, you know, if we present an expert report, now the, the personal injury lawyer is going to have to have to argue that expert report, right. Or produce their own, produce their own expert report. So um, we use that, we use that a ton in elevator related claims, and it really has made a significant impact on those claims costs. So those $50,000, $100,000 claims tend, tend to whittle them down to, to almost nothing. Chris has done a fantastic job on that. So, okay. so again, um, just bring more information proactively to build mm-hmm. that, you know, to build the case that the contractor did their due diligence. They were acting priority, you know, they're a good contractor and, and just building yeah. that stuff up. This might be a good podcast to bring Chris and the claims team on, team on for, cause I don't want to get, that's their, really their skill set, not so much, not so much mine. And yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, but um, you know, our job is really, yeah, to make, make it difficult. Like if, you know, if a claimant is going to get money from our group, they're going to have to work for that. Right. They're going to have to either, you know, show that we've been negligent and prove that. Right. The, the onus is on them to prove that or or they're you know, we're going into these situations that we're not we're not going to be an easy target anymore. Right. That is not uh, that's not going to happen. And and it's a big job to do, but somebody's got to do it. And the insurance companies haven't and the, the insurance industry hasn't uh, hasn't done that. So that's um that's kind of the goal here but be proactive build the build the file and you know not make it so easy so mark does this only cover winter work then um because really all we've talked about is winter but does this program cover for those contractors that do year-round or maybe they do landscape construction like talk a little bit about that yeah, so it, it does. Um, we've really focused on the snow side of things because that's where all the problems lie. But it's a general, so um, the way we structure it, we have the self-insured pool. So that does cover winter claims, summer claims. So if somebody, contractor hits a gas line or uh, like those are the typical claims that we see, uh, gas line or utility line or something like that, then yeah, the policy responds, right? The program responds to defend and, and cover those claims as well. So yeah, it's full, it's full service, right? It's a general liability program, so it covers the operation. Now, if there's certain things that are outside the, the norm, then again, we could, and we've done that, we've done that before, where, you know, if a contractor, um, here's a good example, we have a, you know, if a contractor is manufacturing equipment, right? So that they have their construction operations, snow removal, landscaping, but they're also manufacturing. Um, some equipment, then that kind of falls outside the the scope here from a manufacturing products products liability perspective. So we'll just piece that out and kind of carve it out into its own policy. Okay. So Mark, is there any other questions I haven't asked that you get from contractors when they when they ask you about the program? 
That's a good question, actually, because there's uh, we kind of tip like our first conversation is a lot like this, Grant. Like our, our the very first conversation we have with contractors is really, yeah, what is this? Because it's it's unheard of. It's never been really done before. But I think we covered it all off. There's a lot of specifics that contractors tend to have just based on their own scenarios. Um, but I guess the uh, to, to summarize it, we're not intimidated by claims and we're not intimidated by, you know, retail plazas. Like that's a, that's another one that we're seeing a lot of like insurance companies. If you're doing a, if you're doing a Walmart plaza, then we can't insure you. Well, you know, that stuff's not going away, right? Retail, like, you know, retail has been hit quite hard due to the pandemic, but there's parking lots in Canada that are going to have to be maintained. So if the insurance industry is like, it, it just narrows it down where only industrial plazas could be plowed and will only insure those contracts. Well, again, not solving the problem for the majority of contractors. So, you know, we just want to be, we just want to be as, as aggressive as possible in our defending of claims, because whether there's a slip and fall on a retail plaza, a condo building or an, or an industrial property, it's the same idea, right? We're going to defend it the same way every time. So yeah, for your audience, I would just say, you know what, engage us. We'll, we'll talk to anybody and, um, and tell you if this program's right, it's not for everybody. And we're pretty honest about that. It isn't the right program for everybody, but, uh, could be pretty rewarding and, you know, we, we really want to help an industry that um, that the insurance industry hasn't really done a great job, in our opinion, on on helping over the past so many years. One uh, key last point from my end to that is um, is the CSA standard, right? The industry has not adopted, CSA has not published the national standard. There's best practices, there's US standards, but in Canada, there is no such thing as a, as a snow and ice management standard. And we really felt that this is, a, this is a missing piece of the puzzle here in Canada. And, you know, we took the initiative, I think between me and Chris, we, were, we first engaged um, CSA to think about this. and. You know, they never, it was something new to them. And now there's a, there's a ton of stakeholders involved. We just had a, we just had a workshop, um, with a whole bunch of people, you guys were, were included in that as well. Um, but it's gaining a lot of momentum and it's, um, it's a high profile standard for CSA. So we're really excited about that, but that's again, looking at like, how do we do things a little better and how do we defend these claims a little better? That's going to be a great, you know, if we could uh, get that across the finish line. Um, that's going to be create some great momentum for the industry. So how do you see having a CSA approved standard? How is that going to help the contractor then? Nationally published standard will help because it, it gives, it's the playbook, right? It's, it gives the contractors a playbook of it's, it's unreasonable and not, not practical to expect the contractor to maintain bare pavement throughout the winter, throughout a snowstorm and a blizzard. So um, a standard will will deal with all that and and discuss all that. What is the contractor reasonably supposed supposed to achieve on a on a site? And um, and then although it's voluntary, it's not a it's not a regulated standard just yet. It gives us something to work with, right? And uh, you know, show sh- it will help even more to show that you know our contractors, if they've achieved that and they've uh, they met their standard of care, then. Um, you know, we're going to use that as a part of our defense strategy. 
for sure. I think most contractors want to play by the rules. They want a standard. Mm -hmm. They're just nothing out there, right? So I think once the standard is created, and that's why we're excited to be part of that program Mm -hmm. as well, is because then you can help a contractor be like, here, here's what you need to do. And if you do that, then it will stand up and and mm-hmm. uh, it will be able to do that. So I think it's, I'm, I'm excited about that and the opportunity that that's going to have for Canadians mm-hmm. so contractors yeah. or landscape contractors yeah. overall. Yeah. And even the quality of work, right? From one contractor to another, right? You get like, there's some significant differences in the way contracts are priced out as an example. So um, when you could say, you know what, we're pricing this contract, um, but we're going to achieve the CSA national standard on stone ice management. And that's how we're going to work. And, and the work we're doing is, is, is going to achieve the standard. Then, you know, that kind of equals the playing field a bit. Yeah. Was, it makes the industry suspect. better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And the end customer is going to get a better result too, right? Cause they're all the yeah. price you're going to get is apples to apples compared to apples to pears when you're pricing stuff. And that is a frustration for the contractor and for a property management company or for a property owner. So, yeah. Exactly. Excellent. Uh, so, Mark, what we're going to do is we're going to put your contact information in the link below. Um, so if okay. you want to get a hold of Mark, um, please do so. Uh, we really, really encourage you if you're a snow contractor or just any landscape contractor that you talk to Mark or one of his team members. It's a great program. We're excited to be part of it as an extra consulting. And uh, we truly believe this is a is a viable uh, option for you. Uh, don't just take your local insurance market. Um, you know, you, you, a lot of times we have a good relationship with our broker, but uh, take the time to shop it around, talk to Mark, um, ask the specific questions about your 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 business specifically. And um, and what we've seen so far is that your the the operation, the improvements that you're going to make in the operation to be part of the group will make you more profitable. Because that's a lot of fear. A lot of times we hear from guys and we talk to them about it is, I don't have that system in place, but um, I, you would probably account for that as well, that these guys do become mm-hmm. more profitable. It does become more of a, does become more of a business rather than just a snow operation. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it benefits them even not just on the insurance rates, but it, it benefits them as an operation as well. Their business. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Yeah. And we've seen, we've seen that right where, you know, you might be losing money on a contract that you've had for 10 or 15 years, but, um, you know, with, with putting some, some energy behind that, you could see that, okay, well, you know what, if I get rid of these 10 contracts and pick up new contracts here, then yeah, more, more profitable bottom line and better contracts. So thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Grant. Have a good day. You too. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nextra Presents. If you enjoyed the episode, it would really help us if you would leave a five-star rating and review the podcast. While you're at it, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you want to contact us, please visit our website at nextraconsulting.ca.